Uh, today we are beginning a new series of messages called Divergent. Now, I don't know how many of y'all have, how many of y'all have seen the movie or read the book? Um, okay, yeah, I did too, and so I, I watched the movie, I did not read the book, and so the whole idea behind Divergent is actually the definition of Divergent, it means to go a path that others don't expect you to travel on. Uh, in other words, it means, in a sense, and one thing I like about it is it means to be like a contrarian, uh, which for some reason I've always been attracted to people who are contrarians, people who like to do things different than what everybody else expects. Now, the reason why we are going through this series, and we're calling it Divergent, is I, I strongly believe this, and I think Scripture backs it up, is that whenever we are called to be followers of Jesus, when we make a decision to follow him, Jesus calls you and he calls me to be divergent. He calls for us to live different. And there's a lot of different ways that he calls us to do that. And the focus for us today, the way that God has called for us to be different, is in our behavior, the way that we act. Now, I know for me it's, it's easy to stand up here and preach stuff, but it's a totally different thing for me to actually go out and to live it. And behavior is a dead giveaway concerning what it is that you really believe, what it is that you really find important. Uh, the 1999 Super Bowl, for those of you who remember it, it was actually more known for what happened before the game than what actually happened in the game. Now, I'll refresh your memory, and I'm sure you'll remember this. There was a guy named Eugene Robinson who played for the Atlanta Falcons. The night before the game, he ended up winning the Bart Starr Award for High Moral Standing. Is this ringing a bell for any of y'all? Uh, later on that night, after he won the award, he ended up getting arrested for soliciting a prostitute. Now, the award was a great award for high moral standing, but it didn't mean very much after people saw his actions. And, you know, that's what behavior does. Behavior shows who we really are. Um, I heard someone once say, if you don't believe it, you won't live it. I heard somebody else say, and this is an old farm saying, saying if you take a, a pig and a boy and you give both of them everything they want, you're going to have a good pig and a bad boy. Now, behavior is something that just really points out who we are as people. And what we're going to see today is that Peter tells us, and we're going to be looking in 1 Peter chapter 2 today, he lets us know that whenever we are touched by Jesus, whenever we follow Jesus, he doesn't just change your eternal destination, which thank God he does that, but he changes your behavior. He changes the way that you live. He changes the things that you desire. And so the challenge for us today is to be a people who, if we follow Jesus, that we're going to be divergent, that we're going to live differently than the rest of the world. And it's not so that we'll be seen as being weird or so that you know, we'll get a bunch of attention, but just simply so that we will show through our living that when you follow Jesus, man, the fact of the matter is it's the best way to go. Now today in our scripture, Peter was writing to a group of believers that were, that were really in need of great encouragement. And he was telling them, I want you to live differently than culture. I want you to go against the tide of culture. 
And the reason why he said this was because he understood that the ways of this world, the things that we naturally desire, the things that we naturally want, they're only temporary. They're not the things that we want to, to stand on and build our lives on as our foundation. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, So do we, we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 12.2, he said, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, this culture. He said, But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the result of all this is if we follow Jesus, he's going to change us. And one of the ways that he changes us is he will change our behavior. And behavior, our behavior is going to look differently than the rest of the world when we're touched by Jesus. So we'll look in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 1 in, in just a few moments. But I'll give you a little background of information about what's going on here whenever Peter wrote this letter. He was writing this letter to Christians. He was writing this letter to people who followed Jesus. And at the time they were living, they were, had been scattered out all over the ancient world. And it was not, during this time, it was not a real popular thing to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, a lot of the people were undergoing persecution because of their faith. They were seen as being weird. They were living differently than the rest of culture. And the people were worn out. And the the Christians were like, man, you know what? I mean, I, I really don't like standing out from everybody else. And so I would just sort of like to blend in with everybody else so that people will just leave me alone. You all ever felt that way before? I mean, I, now I understand this. I'm thinking, man, I'm right there with them. If I can just not be pointed out and not be different than everybody else, you know, I would like to be like everybody else so nobody will bother me. But Peter said, but when you follow Jesus, he changes you. And that's kind of the rub of everything. There's great things about being a follower of Jesus, but when he touches you, he will change you. And one of the things he'll change, he's going to change your behavior. And you say, now, whenever you talk about him changing my behavior, you know, what does that mean? You know, how exactly does, does God change my behavior? If I follow Jesus, what should my behavior look like? And we're just going to look at a few things. You see, whenever we are touched by Jesus, one of the ways that we are to be different is that we ha- are to have a desire to seek after purity. So if we follow God, one of the ways our behavior is different is that we will be a people who seek after purity. Now, I want you to look with me in verse number 1 of chapter 2. And this is what Peter wrote. He said, So rid yourselves of all wickedness, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Okay, so how are we going to be different? Well, Peter says whenever you're going to be, whenever you follow Jesus, you're going to be different because you're going to rid yourselves of these things. Now, I go through some of this list and I'm thinking, I'm feeling pretty good. But then there's a couple of things in here where I think I ain't feeling so good anymore. I mean, he says, get rid of all wickedness. I'm not going to tell you which ones I struggle with. Uh, Wickedness, and Emily's not here, so she can't tell you either. All deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Now, Peter tells us that whenever we follow God, what happens is we become, you all heard the term before, we are born again. 
And whenever we are born again, we are born into a new life. We are born into a relationship with God and a God who changes the way that we live and what we desire and what we seek after. And so Peter says you want to put these things out of your life because if you don't, he says when you mess with sin, when you mess with junk, he said it blurs your vision. Now, I... um, I wear contacts, and I'm actually, I'm at that age now where I am fighting the idea of wearing reading glasses. Now, if you wear reading glasses, there is nothing wrong with that. It just means you're old. And so I don't wear reading glasses right now. And so what I do is my font on my phone is like, it's like three words, and then I swipe to the next page. Uh, the great news for me is Emily was great. Emily's she's going to the third service, and so Emily's at home, and she was wearing she was wearing reading glasses, and I was like, yeah, I beat her, you know. So she got them before I did, and I'm still holding out. I need them now, but I'm still holding out. Now I but I do wear glasses when I go home, so I take my contacts out and I wear my regular glasses. But there's one thing that I absolutely uh, it's a pet peeve of mine is when I see people with dirty glasses. My dad wears glasses, and my dad drives me nuts. My dad will pick up his glasses by putting his thumbs on the lens, and then he puts them on, and he's got two thumb marks right in the middle. And he never cleans them off. And it just, I mean, it's gross. And I'm sitting there looking, I'm like, how do you see? He's like, well, it's, I see pretty good. You know, I just kind of tilt my head. And I'm like, just clean your glasses off. And you know, sometimes I'll see people, and they have, like, food on it. I mean, just, oh, and so anyway, so I just look at those things, and it drives me crazy, but it smudges. When, when your glasses aren't clean, you can't see clearly. Well, that's what sin does. You see, whenever we have been cleaned by Jesus and we start messing with sin again, then it's like we got smudges all over our lives. And, and then when it comes to making decisions in life, then our vision's obscured. So if you want to see clearly one way that your behavior is going to be different is you're going to seek after purity. That's why Peter said this, again, he said, you're going to rid yourself of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. That word rid, it means to cast away with indignation. It means to never put it on again. It's a picture of, of dirty, rotten laundry. You know, if you have absolutely dirty, rotten, disgusting clothes, and if you have a teenage boy, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you have clothes that are like that, what do you do with those clothes? You throw them out. You don't ever use them again. And so that's what Peter is saying here. He says, whenever you've been cleaned by Jesus, the last thing you want to do is put on the dirty, rotten laundry of sin again. Now, we could take each one of these words that he mentions and go through them, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to lump them all together in one thing. It's, it's anger, not bitterness. Paul, Paul is saying that you're going to seek after, or Peter's saying you're going to seek after purity by ridding yourself of anger. Because if you hang on to it, it can destroy your life. Now, there are times when it's okay for us to become angry. Um, we're told in Ephesians 4, 26, it's be angry, yet do not sin. Now, there are times when we, should, when we should be angry. We should be angry when we see injustice. We should be angry when we see people treated poorly. But where we can get into trouble is whenever we allow that anger to take root in our lives 
and change the way that we behave, the way that we live our lives. Now, there have been times in my life when I've been righteously angry. You know, I've been righteously angry when somebody has driven in front of me and cut me off and almost cost me my life. Now, that was, that was just anger. But when I allowed that anger to control me and it caused me to get one inch behind that guy's bumper and turn on my brights, now that is not good. That, is, that would be sinful. Now, it can be kind of funny to laugh about, but guys, here, here's the deal. If I do those kinds of things, you know what that does for my witness for Jesus? It kills it. And so if somebody sees me doing that and then they hear me talking about the grace and the love of God, but then they see me in full jerk mode, do you think they're going to pay attention to me? If they see that I'm not a person that's seeking after the purity of God, man, it absolutely destroys my testimony. That's what Peter's saying here. He says, if you are a follower of God, it will, you will, your behavior will be changed in that you will be seeking after purity because if you don't and you mess with dirty laundry, I mean, your testimony is going to be worthless. You know, if it's, it's like if uh, one thing I do is I, I, I run. No, I, I jog. I don't run. I jog. I slog along. But I have, and I, whenever I get finished running, I am, I mean, I'm just, I'm sopping wet. Now, after I'm sopping wet, if I come home and I take off my sweaty shirt and my sweaty shorts, and then I fold them up and then lay them down and then go take a shower and get out of the shower, and then I grab that sweaty shirt and put it back on and those sweaty shorts and put them back on and then just sort of hang out for the rest of the day. Yeah, I mean, is that gross? I mean, absolutely. You know, I've just absolutely... Uh, you know, vacated the whole idea and purpose of taking a bath. Peter's saying, when you come into a relationship with Jesus, when you trust him with your life, Jesus cleanses you from the power of sin. But he says, when you mess with it again, it's like you're rolling around in dirty laundry after you've already been cleaned. That's why he says, your behavior will be different, and one thing that you're going to seek after is you will seek after purity because you don't want to mess with dirty, dirty laundry anymore. But another way that we are to behave differently is we will behave differently and that it's going to affect the way we look at God's Word. You know, that's the way we look at Scripture. Now look with me in verses, we're going to look at verses 2 and 3. Here's what Peter had to say about Scripture. He said, like newborn, newborn infants desire the unadulterated spiritual milk so that you may grow by, by it in your salvation, since you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter's saying that whenever you are touched by God, your behavior is going to be different and that you're going to desire God's Word. Now, it's not in my nature to desire anything from God. Isn't that weird? That is not in my nature. It's not yours either. I'm just using me as an example. It's, it's not my nature to desire God. We're told in Ephesians 2, 3, it says, We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. So our nature is to go after the flesh. It says, And we were by nature children of wrath as the others were also. Now that's shocking for some of us because we all like to think, you know, at, my very, at the very core of who I am, I'm a good guy. At the very core of who I am, I want to do the best things for everybody. But you know what? At the core of who I am, I'm all about me. Do you know that? At the core of who you are as well, 
about you. It is not in my nature to want to live for God. Now, if it was, then I would never have to worry about my kids' first words being mine. Our children's first words would be yours. How many of y'all have ever heard that? I mean, absolutely not. You see, it's in our nature to look after self above all else. It's in our nature to take the path of least resistance, of whatever is convenient for me. Now, if your life is surrendered to Jesus, let me tell you something, your behavior will be affected. It says that your behavior will be affected and that you will desire God. You'll desire God's word. That word desire, it means to crave. He says you will desire God's word like a, like a newborn babe desires milk. It means to crave, to long after, to seek for it, to fill you up. Now, why would a baby want milk? Well, because it's hungry. And milk satisfies. Why would a believer seek after the things of God and God's word? Because when we look at God's word, we discover that it fills. We discover that it satisfies and completes. Second uh, Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this. It says about scripture. It says, all scripture is inspired by God. And it's profitable for teaching rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. The Bible's it's an instruction manual for our lives. You know, sort of like when you get a new computer, one thing you want to do is you want to, you want to at least, if you, if you don't know much about computers, you at least want to look at the instruction manual to find out how you can get the most out of that computer. I mean, if you just simply get a computer and then you just throw out, throw out the directions and any, any kind of insights that might be in it, you're not going to be able to use that computer to its fullest potential. Guys, if we ignore what God's word says, we're going we're to miss out on our fullest potential that Christ has in mind for us. Now, when Peter wrote this, he was writing to believers. And in chapter 1, verse number 18, here's what he said to those believers. He said, for you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life. See, their natural desire, our natural desire is to go after this things, the things of this world. But, but what do the things of this world lead to? Verse number 18, he says, emptiness. You know, I know people who, who are great people, but they're seeking to fill up their lives with just stuff. You know what? To, to, have, to have more things than other people. To have better things. And those things in and of themselves, I and mean, I don't have a problem with that, but if that's what your, your hope is in, they end up empty. And satisfied. I know other people who are looking for, for relationships to complete them. But whenever they're looking for those other people to complete them in life, they end up empty. And so believers knew this. That, that is why they began to seek after God and His Word and His ways. Why? Because like newborn babes... The, the word of God filled them up and satisfied them. It tasted good to them. You know, whenever something tastes good, what do you want to do? You want to keep eating it. Y'all remember the Doritos commercial? You just can't have one. Did y'all know that's true? I tried it. Ate one, and I was like, got to eat another one. You know, that's, that's how it is with the things of God. You know, in a little bit, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper. And a few times ago when we took the Lord's Supper, I happened to, you know, had the bread, and we took the bread, and we ate the bread, and drank the juice. And I sent my boy, and he looked over at me, and, and after, you know, there's some little pieces of bread. And so he eats it, and he looks at me, and he goes, man, this is kind of making me hungry. And it just kind of made me laugh, but then I thought about it, I said, there's a spiritual truth here. You know, whenever you taste the things of God, 
it makes you hungry for the things of God. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You know, whenever, whenever we are touched by Jesus, we will be different. We'll be different in that we will seek purity. We will be different in the way that we, we look at God's word. We will be different concerning our core. You know, concerning who we really are deep down. Let me read you in verse 4. It says, Coming to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen and valuable to God. You yourselves, as living stones, are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Look, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and valuable cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, and for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that trips them up. And they stumble by disobeying the message they were, and they were destined for this. Okay, now what does all this mean? Okay, I, I, we can take a look at it like this. If you want to discover who you are at your very core, one of the easiest ways to find out is to examine your behavior. You can find out who you are. Well, how do you act? You know what? You want to find out who you are. If I want to find out who I am, how do I treat people? You know, how do I approach life? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus talked about behavior. He said in Matthew 7, 18 through 20, he said a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruit, you know, another, by their actions, you'll know them. You, you want to know who you are? I want to know who I am. And sometimes it, it frightens me when I examine who I am. Only thing you have to do is look how you live. You know, the core of a believer is to be Jesus. Now, here's what's interesting. He is called a living stone in our text today. Now, there's some really interesting implications here. In the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament, you'll see that the prophets berated people all the time for worshiping other gods. Does that sound familiar? You know, they, 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 had, uh, they, you know, they would worship uh, stones, the idols of wood and stone. They'd bow down. You know, there's the Ten Commandments. You shall have no graven images before me. It's a big deal. God's like, don't do it. And then I look here, and Peter calls Jesus, he's a living stone. Now, the prophet said, don't worship those other stones because he's like, man, that's so dumb. They're just rocks. They don't hear. They don't feel. They don't have eyes. Why are you praying to that thing? Don't do it. They're dead. And then Peter says, but Jesus is different because he's a living stone. It's, an, it's, a, an, it's a testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. But not only that, he was called a living stone because later on he is called the cornerstone. Jesus is to be the cornerstone of your life and my life. Now, what is a cornerstone? Well, let me read to you the definition of cornerstone. It says, a cornerstone of a building, it serves as an alignment stone for the foundation. The stone lies at the extreme corner of a building, and it was the crucial stone that's laid in setting the parameters of a foundation. The angle of a cornerstone is precise, it determines all the subsequent lines and the angles of the building. It's the standard for the bearing of the beams and walls in the construction of an entire building. 
Say, if Jesus is your cornerstone, what does that mean? It means that if he's your cornerstone, every, everything else built on your life is based off of him. He is your foundation. Everything you build on top of him will be sturdy and true. But if you build, if your cornerstone is anything other than Jesus, all bets are off. You know why? Because the things of this world are constantly changing. Man, it doesn't take long to figure out. That things are different all the time. You know, we look and we're, you know, a lot of us are struggling. We see values are constantly changing. What we used to think was good is now bad. What we used to think is bad is now good. You know, I read articles sometimes, you know, salt used to be bad for you. It might be good for you now. I'm confused. Um, you know, we've, we've heard that, you know, tobacco is bad for you. And then we learn it cures Ebola. I've been smoking seven packs a day ever since then. I'm just kidding. But, you know, it's just everything is constantly shifting and changing all the time. But what about Jesus? Jesus is not changing. You know, what, what he says here in his word he says, it is something worth standing on forever. And we're told in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, now, what does that mean for us? It means that we can hang on to Jesus and base our lives off of him, knowing that he will constantly be steady and firm, regardless of what we face in life. In 2001, the Leaning Tower of Pisa opened up to tourists for the first time in 12 years. It had to go undergo a $25 million project. And the reason why is because it was leaning. Now, I've always had a question about that. I was like, did they, when they built that thing, did they build it at an angle? I mean, because I, I didn't know. It was kind of weird. Well, no, when they built it, did you, they actually built it straight up. But then as time went on, it just began to tilt. And finally, engineers looked at it and they said, if we don't do something within the next few years, it's going to fall to the ground. And so they had to reinforce the foundation. Now, was it leaning because the guys who built it way back when were horrible architects? Wasn't it? Uh, was it because they used inferior materials? Uh, wasn't it? You know why it was leaning? The name Pisa, the town of Pisa, it, it means marsh. So when they built the tower of Pisa, they built it on marshland which is not exactly known for being sturdy. It was just constantly shifting and changing. And every year, a few centimeters, the tower began to tilt. And so they had to reinforce the foundation to hold it steady. Now, guys, there are some of us that need to reinforce our foundation with Jesus so that we will hold steady. And that's what you'll see from followers of Jesus. See, as we follow Jesus, we begin to understand that this life is constantly shifting and Jesus is our only hope. And so our behavior should be different. It should change when we follow Jesus. How should, how should it change? Well, we should seek after purity. Our behavior will be different in the way that we look at God's word. Our behavior will be different when we begin to understand that Jesus is to be the core of our lives. And this is the last one. Our behavior becomes different as we begin to understand that we have a responsibility. We're to be responsible. Now, the last two verses I'll read. Verse number, let's see, verse number 9. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now... You were God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. 
You know how Peter wrote this to the people? Remember, originally he wrote them this letter because they're undergoing persecution. They follow Jesus and nobody likes them. They feel like second-class citizens. And so Peter's writing this to encourage them. Say, you're not second-class citizens. Let me tell you who you are in Jesus. And guys, this is true for you and me as well. Who are we in Jesus? Look at what Peter said. Peter told the people, he said, you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are a people for his possession. That's pretty heady stuff right there. Guess what? When we follow Jesus, we're special. We are the chosen people of God. Now, now why, why have we been chosen by him? What makes us special? There's a purpose for all of it, and it's at the end of verse number 9. He said, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness. You know what our responsibility is? Our responsibility as believers is to live differently, for our behavior to be different, so that we can be a light in a world that is in darkness that needs to see Jesus. That's our responsibility. It's not something that we just do on Sunday. Now, it's easy for me on Sunday to stand up here and tell you, this is what the Bible says, and this is what we ought to do. And it's easy for you all to sit there and nod your head and say, yep, that's not what we ought to do. But what about Monday when you go to work? What about Tuesday when that moron cuts you off? You know, what about the rest of the week when your friends call you to come and do things that you know are not godly? Guys, we have a responsibility in the way that we live, in the way that we behave. See, whenever, whenever we become followers of Jesus, it's not a one-day event. It's not just Sunday. It's all the time. Because when we submit ourselves to Jesus, we now belong to him and nobody else. We're told in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you? whom you have from God, and you're not your own, for you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. All right, last thing. Closing question. You don't answer out loud, but just think about it. What does your behavior say about you? What does the way that you live say about the God you and I say we believe in. You know, we said this year is going to be a year of a hundred where we desire to see a hundred people come into a relationship with Jesus, where we desire to see a hundred people be baptized. We desire to see a hundred new people come into the fellowship of Village Church. As let me tell you something, if we're going to see God move in our church in that way, then we've been called to be divergent, to be different. And that means being a light in a world of darkness. When you're touched by Jesus, he will change you.